Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Terror Talk. Hey, everybody. This is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. So this week on the show, we're going to talk about the psychology of vampires. My favorite. And the associated media in there with, in, in with. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. fair. Okay, uh, FYI, a couple of announcements. Next week is Witches, which would probably be, well, we're not actually doing My Favorite, which I realized when I programmed these four I or five that episodes. was your favorite. Well, no, I, I do love the witchy witches. Okay. But I, what I realized is that in the movies, in the horror movies, I think demons are my favorite. You brought that up last week. Did I? I didn't okay. realize that, that we would have made that happen. I know. I'm dumb. Maybe I just uh, I just blocked it out. Maybe I wanted to learn more about Maybe the other we'll things. do it at <laughs> another time. Yeah. So we, gotta, so we already have some ideas we got to plug in for the, <laughs> for the winter months because... Demons has got to be one of them. <clears throat> okay, so enough on that. We have chosen our surprise episode topic, and we wanted to let you guys know what it's going to be because we want you to go and see the movie that we're going to talk about um, so that you can be at least active in your brain about the topic. So, Kathy, would you like to do the honors? And we want you to see it not only because we're going to be talking about it, but because it is so good. It's bloody good. The Joker. Yeah. So I we, think it's just called Joker. Yeah, it is. I, I looked that up as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's just called Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. And of course, it's breaking all kinds of box office records as well. So everyone's going to see it. And you have a couple of weeks to do it because next week we're doing witches. And then the following week, it's the first week in November, is when we will do our episode on Joker. The reason why we're going, we, we went to see it this weekend together and afterwards I just I it was so clear to me that we needed to do an episode on it and I think that's why it's so great to leave I mean I might do that in the winter section too Mm -hmm. you know leave an episode for spontaneity because Mm -hmm. things come up and then we don't want to wait three months to do the show on them so um, this is one of those situations where I think it's going to be great I just want to remind people too that you don't have to be a Batman fan to appreciate, oh. although the, it does set it up for a sequel and there is an underlying mm-hmm. piece that's related to the comic. You can go watch this movie and really 95% of the time, you don't get a sense that you're watching anything related to a comic. It can be a standalone. Uh, it can be a standalone movie. Right. If you know the story of the Joker and if you are a fan of the Batman movies, you get an extra layer of shizzle there. And and Um, it's good. And it's good. So the reason why we chose it is because this movie is, is thick with mental health. And so... Even if you don't watch the movie, I mean, we're going to spoil it for you if you if you don't. But if you don't care about that, please tune in for the mental health piece of this because it's very complicated and it's multi-layered and it's very interesting. And so we will go into all of that mm-hmm. on our first episode of November. I think um, it's fair to say that it's, it's very um, representative of how you and I say there's so many factors. Yeah. 
It'll be right. great. It'll be a great example. It's almost yeah. like a true crime episode in a way because it really breaks down so much of the of his psychology. Yeah. It's, per, it's perfect. So many layers. It's perfect anyway, for our show. I'm excited to talk about it. When we left the theater and Shannon and I looked at each other and we're like, God, I got to go write stuff down. It's all in my head. <laughs> we had to make some notes yeah. so that we could remember. So the last announcement that I wanted to make real quick is, is actually a, a question for everyone or um, I guess a request. So I have not mentioned this before, but on our Patreon page, there are two, currently there are two public polls, uh, interest polls that I'd love to get some answers on. I haven't advertised before. That's why there's no answers, but um, it's basically asking you which, one of them is asking you which discussions you like best on our show. And so you just go on there, you'll look for the public, you'll scroll down and you'll look for the public posts and you'll just click a box. And then there's also a way to comment underneath the poll. So if you need to expound on your box checked <laughs> you can you could put any kind of comments you want about that for requests etc and then the other one asks about some of the segments that we do and if you have a favorite segment so please go to patreon.com which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash terror talk and scroll down a little bit and you'll see the polls and we'd love it if you'd answer they're free you don't have to pay anything you know patreon is a is a pay site that that um, supports creators with memberships etc which we've been making content for we only just started but these polls are free they're really just for us to get some uh, idea and feedback so we'd love it if you did that and without further ado vampires I want to give about one, two, three, four, five, six noun slash slash adjectives Mm -hmm. that I feel like describe the vampire. Okay. And it says so much about me because they are my favorite. Mm -hmm. So, and then I'm going to let you sum it up in one word after I give you these six. Yes, ma'am. I got instructions, guys. And I know, I know what she's going to say, hopefully. Oh, God. (laughs) No pressure. Eternal youth, soulless, <laughs> charming, deceiving, insatiable, and manipulative. Narcissist. Yes. <laughs> well, we didn't even plan that, but yeah, we're always on the pretty much on the same page with that. But yeah, I mean, that's I I do love vampires, and I've always loved vampire movies. So, um, and I've dated emotional vampires. As so, have I. So. You know, I understand them in a deeper way, and maybe because I've drawn myself into relationship with them mm-hmm. from friends and relationships and work work relationships mm-hmm. too along the way over the course of my life. Uh, there's obvi- I obviously have a connection with that, and so let's play with that and see why that is. Um, a vampire, for those of you, I don't know, living under a bridge and under a rock or something Uh, a vampire is a creature that subsists by feeding on the vital essence generally in a form of blood not always Uh, they're in i mean in in europe they're undead creatures um but most of the movies we watch are you know we have a, a certain vision of them right pale skinned long teeth long incisors uh greasy hair <laughs> sleeps in a coffin mm-hmm. can't come out at night holy water uh kills or burns them i should say mm-hmm. and can only be killed by stabbing or oh, silver what 
No, there's stabbing a, in the heart. Stabbing them with a wooden stake there it has you go. to be wooden. I was thinking werewolves. Yeah, or you can, or I think decapitating them also. Oh, sure. Depending on which tale you're. That pretty much works with all the things. The decapitation, <sighs> right? I think it's really interesting that they die from being stabbed through the heart with a stake when they really don't have a heart. Hypothetically, maybe that's the oxymoron of right. it all. Just interesting. Freud, Freud had a thing with. The whole explanation mm-hmm. around vampires and fangs. You know, fangs are representative of oral tendencies. So we think about the oral stage representing pleasure-seeking, addiction. So I think that's pretty interesting if you look at it from like a... Yeah, she's talking about Freud's developmental stages. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so thinking about um, how we have, through uh, just our culture and, and through history, how the fangs... One of the things that they talk about as well with that is... Um, how fangs invoke awe and serve as this sort of distinct contrast to fastidious exterior. Cause the fangs are usually pretty hidden mm-hmm. until they're not. Mm-hmm. They kind of, some, some movies, they, they jut them out when they, right. when they shift, when they change, when their right. eyes go red and stuff, they'll, they'll have the fangs grow. The incisors grow to a point or whatever. Right. But yeah. if you look at like Anne Rice's vampires, it's super subtle until mm-hmm. it isn't until they're eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's this, and I think that when we think about narcissism, that um, when someone's highly narcissistic, that that uh, representation on the outside when you first meet them is this really like you're charmed by them and you're seduced by them and then their proverbial fangs <laughs> show yeah. and you're already in a trance. Absolutely. And I mean, the fangs are practical, right? They're used to feed. Right. And so a narcissist quote-unquote fangs or hypothetical fangs are sort of their um, ability. I would say the metaphoric fangs of a narcissist is their ability to um, get inside you mm-hmm. and and read you very quickly. And so it's like an emotional bite, in other words. So, they'll, so a narcissist can um, metaphorically bite into you and taste your blood. In other words, get right to the heart of who you are and what you need in that moment. And that's their seduction. Mm-hmm. Oosh. And the teeth, once those teeth are in, that's it. Another thing that I thought was really interesting too, when I was looking at this and some of the psychology around it is when we look at um, people who are either sociopathic or narcissistic, which are not necessarily exclusive, mutually exclusive, but mm-hmm. related is they have an understanding um, of what we call cognitive empathy or cold empathy, which means they have they know how someone gets hurt. They know if they push someone down, it's going to hurt if they fall. But they lack uh, the possession of effective empathy or warm empathy, which is the ability to care. Mm-hmm. So vampires are really good at and this goes in line with what you were just saying is the whole idea of, I know what this person needs. I also know what hurts them Mm -hmm. and I know how to use that in conjunction, but they lack the ability to really care about hurting, which makes them so powerful. Well, yeah. And if you think about it, um, if there's someone in your life that you had a response to that was similar to, 
yeah, they just, they just knew who I was really like immediately. I just felt like they understood me and, Mm. um, and that they understood a deep part of me that no one has ever really seen. And I exposed myself emotionally to them really fast, got connected really fast. Um, but also they seem to know those things that are really sensitive and tender to me. And so it gives you the impression that they know you or that you want to be more open with them. And or they're, they're like you. Yes. And they're, cause what they're doing is they're engaging that mirroring neurons in your brain mm-hmm. to have you mirror them and they're mirroring you. I mean, I've literally had narcissists who have, like known things about me that they would aren't supposed to know and were mirroring everything about my hopes and dreams not necessarily who I was at the moment but who I hoped and dreamed I would be and they become that and then they become that because it's like a it's like a misdirect on stage with a magician right how yeah. they can read you and you don't understand but if you really look at it from the outside you see that they're just sort of trying things out they're con artists. Yeah. And yeah. then they hit on them because they see it in your eyes. Mm-hmm. And and we do that as therapists. Mm-hmm. We see in our clients' eyes when we've hit something emotional. But we don't abuse it. But we don't abuse it. And, and so And then yeah. there's the future faking and all that that comes with it make, makes you, you know, sink in even deeper. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking of something when you were saying that when you look at um uh again, let's go back to the the actual human emotional vampire, when we talk about um, personality development and a lack of self, right? They lack a a true sense of self. So they develop like a compensatory sense of self. So uh, a vampire in most films, when they look into the mirror, there's nothing there. They can't see themselves. And I think that's really kind of a cool way to look at. There isn't a self Mm -hmm. there with someone who's narcissistic. And although when we look at it from um, more of a a vampire demonic thing. It has to do with them lacking a soul, but it's in relation to that lack of self. There isn't a real person there. So I think it's interesting that um, vampires can't see their reflection. No, I think it's perfect. You know, it's perfect mythology for the narcissist because it's, it's a bit sad. It's like, if you think about someone whose psychic injuries are happen when they were pre-verbal, or in the womb when they are so young that they don't remember. And so, and those injuries were so profound that they didn't go through the developmental stages that they needed to, to develop cohesive self inside all of us who are, you know, operating in life and in relationships in a functioning way. Most of us are not malignant narcissists because Mm -hmm. you would see those things happening. And, they they literally have um, that's why they need the mirroring. So one of the developmental stages, you when you're when you're a baby, you need your mommy and daddy or two mommies or two daddies or a grandma and uncles, whatever, to mirror your facial expressions mm-hmm. when you're a baby. Mm-hmm. Like a simple thing like that, which seems simple because we do it naturally. Mm-hmm. They most likely didn't get that. Mm-hmm. So they looked into that face and it was blank and they didn't get mirrored. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was like, I don't, I don't exist because mm-hmm. I'm not being married. So they go through their whole lives thinking that they actually don't exist unless they're being mirrored by somebody else. Which is why they beat us to the punch yeah. and mirror us first to get that, that supply that well, they so badly need. Well, that's why it's so physically and emotionally draining for the partner. Right. 
because what happens is they they emotionally they're toxic and they're weighing you down and they're sucking everything out of you mm-hmm. and it makes you unable to care for yourself or be productive in your own life because you're you're being siphoned yeah and i think it's the one you know disorder that more people even though you know the argument can be and i have a little bit less I think patience, because to me, it's like an explanation is not an excuse. So I feel like it's the one disorder that um, more people on the outside are affected by, at least consciously. I think they are affected on a subconscious or an unconscious level, but many of them go through life and it works for them. Um, it, it, fun- it's, it functions. Um, that's why I think it's so hard to change too, because many of them end up very superficial lives but it's different than someone maybe who is more, much more aware of their depression or even someone with borderline personality disorder where it's like it's so much more apparent to them that they're symptomatic. Um, and not that we can't have compassion for that. I just think the victims of that sometimes are really the ones who pay the price. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, you know, they put you down, they take pleasure in sabotaging you. They, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's a dark place. I'd never want to be. I don't envy them. Well, and they, and they are mirroring that they're caring, but they're gaslighting you. They're mm-hmm. doing all of the things that, that sabotage. Now I have treated some narcissistic personalities and, you know, there's this, there's this, um, I don't want to say myth, but there's a common knowledge in our industry that narcissists, uh, don't seek therapy. They don't mm-hmm. stay in therapy. Um, they don't profit from therapy. Now I think that's generally true. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, I, what I see is that a narcissist will come into therapy when the mirror starts breaking. So yeah, they're at the middle bottom. age, middle age, mm-hmm. a lot of times because the looks start to go or whatever they've created starts to go. Either their dreams have failed. They're not mm-hmm. a rock star. They're not a um, they've had to deal with reality for the first time. Yeah. They're not ahead of a studio like they thought they were going to have another partner lined up. Yeah. They've their relationship is failing mm-hmm. and they might finally be in a relationship with someone who's gotten them to care. Mm-hmm. Um, so some things happen towards middle age or later. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has, w- is when I have seen, um, narcissistic personalities come into therapy. This is more rigid, by yeah. the way, this is a spectrum. Like I've seen lots of narcissistic oh, yeah, there's personality pl- structures in my room. Plenty of us have them. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this is the more, um, higher end of the spectrum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The more malignant. Um, yeah. and then it's very difficult <laughs> It's very difficult to do as a therapist, and I've had the pleasure of doing it several times now, working with a malignant narcissist and mm-hmm. um, in a full breakdown, in a narcissistic breakdown. So I just want to qualify by that. When, not, when they're not almost like, in like a really depressive or manic state. Yeah, mm-hmm. they go, they go, yeah, it's uh, it's not pretty. It's very sad in some ways. It's pathetic. Um, it's, yeah, it's, 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 um, you just see the injury and then you hear their story and you go, uh-huh, you know, mm-hmm. the, you, you start to understand and sympathize. Now that's all while they are attacking you. <laughs> I'm not saying that they become nice people and we're doing they and these and all of that. I'm mm-hmm. totally generalizing, mm-hmm. but my experience has been that, um, they're in full breakdown and they're spitting it at you 
and they're breaking down inside. So you're getting both. You're being attacked, but you're also the one, only one that's listening to them. I have a client like that right now. Yeah. And um, he, I actually mirrored something back to him last week and made an observation that anytime I tried to connect with him is when he would end the conversation and look away. And he was able to own that a little bit. He's older, like what we're talking about. Um, but that he took everything out on me in that moment. And when I attempted to connect or mirror, I made that observation to him that he, that was too much intimacy for him. Um, I, (laughs) we all have different ways of approaching or believing or our orientations around it. But I think that bringing this sort of back to the vampire stuff, I think there's just so much, there's so many parallels to mm-hmm. how culturally we've developed, we've created this character that really started from a real dude. Yeah. You know, Vlad the Impaler or whatever yeah. in Romania. But I think over the course of history, we have created this character based on the narcissist. Absolutely. And I think you're hitting on something that's close to my heart, which is that um, the connection between movies and mental illness. I mean, one of my pet projects is to develop conversations, presentations, writing, whatever, around movies and mental illness and how they heal and how they represent us, right? And I think that what you're talking about in in a, in a way is that it might be actually really helpful in treatment for a narcissistic personality to find themselves in vampire movies mm-hmm. to, um, and I don't know, might be useful intervention to, to find a couple that remind you of him or, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know, that would be, cause I feel like seeing ourselves being mirrored in the movies is a way for clients to mm-hmm. get that without us mm-hmm. too. I don't mm-hmm. know. Be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, but they're so exhausting. They I'm, are. I'm exhausted just thinking They're about fascinating, it. Fascinating, though. <laughs> at, they least are. The, at least the, the film ones are. They are for sure. And that's what we're going to do right after the break. We're going to go into more of this, but also how, you know, some of our favorite vampire movies. And I'm sure we'll, we'll weave in some more of the, the narcissist talk. So uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back. Kathy and I can be reached on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror, or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you prefer email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, or check out our Patreon page for extra content and more behind-the-scenes discussions. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and new episodes of Shrink Chat every Friday. Keep coming back, but first, stick around for more of our show. Hi there, welcome back to Terror Talk. This is Shannon and Kathy. So we've been talking about vampires as a representation of narcissists in our culture, which I think is pretty accurate. Uh, And we also want to blend in some movie talk because this is supposed to be fun and talking about narcissists is not always fun. Uh, I think you had a bunch of classics that you were going to bring up, right? My three. Yeah, I think my three favorites. Okay. That I watched pretty 
pretty much on the reg. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> she was looking at her list. Um, was I distant? Yes. Yeah, I felt very far away from you. Is that you. better? <laughs> All right. Just tell us a damn movie, would you? I'm ya? eating the bike. <laughs> tell us about the movie. Okay, my first one. Okay, you're a little... <laughs> You're a little intense there. <laughs> First one's The Lost Boys. Oh, yeah. It's totally, oh, yeah. That's my childhood right there. The first time Top I've, 10, for sure. First, first time I visited Santa Cruz and went to the boardwalk, yeah. and then there's San Carlos, not Santa Carla, like the movie, mm -hmm. but so much of it was filmed up there, and I lived yeah. up there for a year, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I love that movie so much. Yeah, I had some friends move up there a long time ago and uh, went to visit and went over there and saw the... It's the beach area in the movie, the beach and the and the carnival-type stuff. Yeah, the pier in Santa Cruz is where they filmed the whole opening scene. Right. Yeah. So for... Where they filmed us also. Oh, right, right, right. It's the same, same pier. It's a lovely one. Yeah. So for those people who don't know The Lost Boys, uh, 1987, it's uh, directed by Joel Schumacher. Great and soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Oh, how funny. I don't even really remember. Oh, my gosh. I know the whole soundtrack by heart, too. My friend and I used to <laughs> sing it as kids. Nice. I just remember that Corey Haim. Jason Corey Feldman. Pa Corey Feldman. Jason Patrick, Diane Weist. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people in that movie. Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland is course, Jamie Gertz. Yeah, Kiefer's the main vampire. Yeah, yeah, he's good in that. I mean, this is back in the day, like quality 1987 hairdos. I may have to watch it tonight. I think that's such a good idea. So there's that. What's another? You got classics. Are they all 80s? No, one's 90s. Okay. Do you have another 80s? We could stay in the 80s. Yeah, the original Fright Night. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Amanda mm -hmm. Burst before she was out of the closet. <laughs> um, William Ragdale plays Charlie. Okay. Chris Sarandon, mm. who makes an appearance in the new Fright Night, oh, which yeah, I thought yeah. was so awesome. Yeah, 1985. Yeah, I think Fright he ends Night. up getting killed in the new Fright Night, which is ironic because he's the main vampire in... The original, and he does such a good job. Aww. And he plays that that narcissistic next door neighbor so well. And Roddy McDowell's in that one. Roddy McDowell plays the vampire hunter who who he's like this, you know, plays it on this cheesy <laughs> show at midnight with this horrible set, and then he gets pulled into actually having to do it in real life. Um, like that. Yeah, that sounds like <laughs> the guy evil who ends up getting killed. <laughs> Dinners in the oven. <laughs> Yeah. That's that a okay. Bit. So that movie, one of the things I love, I talk about this a lot, which mm -hmm. is when they actually used their hands and had animatronics. Mm -hmm. The 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 scene where evil dies, he's he's full on wolf vampire or whatever, and the stake goes through his heart, and he's kind of rocking, and then you see him go into this like fetal. The hair starts to disappear, and the and he ends up almost like a little baby once he goes back into his human form. That whole transition for that time was really advanced. Oh, gotcha. Um, and it's a really cool scene. It's kind of like the American Werewolf in London when you watch mm -hmm. that transition. This was, At I the think, time, it was very good. Very good. And 
I still, when I watch it now, I'm like, oh my God, you can see the, ma- you can see the yeah. makeup and how they're sweating through it and all the different, how many times they probably had to stop the camera mm-hmm. to change his makeup and mm-hmm. how long that took. Mm-hmm. I just appreciate that. Yeah. So we, we appreciate it now for like the craft of it yeah. instead of like the at the time it was of kind of yeah. scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to add like Vampire's Kiss 1988 oh. the the um uh oh, Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. He's um he's sort of insane. He like slowly loses his mind through the whole thing. <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah. So yeah. that that's an 80s one that I would probably mention. What about Salem's Lot? Oh my god. That so, one's pretty terrifying cuz it looks like Nosferatu in that movie. Yeah, I mean, I have I have in my mind like a handful of vampires that are like my favorite vampires, like not movies, but vampires. Mm-hmm. And Ralphie Glick in Salem's Lot is definitely one of my top 5 vampires of all time. Pretty flipping freaky. Great book. Yes, yeah. as, as you will hear me say. Yeah, that one I actually did. I think I've read that one. But the movie was good too. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good. Um Let's see, Blade. What what year was Blade? I liked Blade. That a was nineties, I think. That was nineties. Okay, well maybe we're moving into the nineties unless you got other. <laughs> Not off the top of my head. Yeah, Blade. So Blade was in nineteen ninety eight, and then there were sequels. And I remember when I first saw the first Blade movie with uh, Wesley Snipes. I mean, it was defining to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Christopherson, Stephen Dorff was mm-hmm. amazing in that oh, movie. Oh, he was really good. I wanted him to be the biggest star mm-hmm. <laughs> in that. I just thought he was so good in that. He plays um, Deacon Frost. And then Chris Christopherson is like the the mentor character. You know, there's always mm-hmm. a, a heroic mentor in those movies. And uh, Blade is a half vampire, half mortal man, becomes the protector of the mortal race while slaying evil vampires. And I just remember it was it's a lot of blade work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pun intended, because he's a blade master, basically. And so that's uh, that was a, one of my faves. My, one of my faves. My number one as far as performance, mm-hmm. is still Gary Oldman in Bram Stoker's oh Dracula. Oh my gosh, so good. He still freaks me out. When I watch that movie now, the movie itself is okay. Mm-hmm. I like it, but it, it, it got terrible reviews when it came out. It sure did. I mean, this so this is directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and I think it got really terrible reviews because it was under the the Godfather and Apocalypse Now and all. And it's like, straight off the book too. It's straight. You know, well, and book. here's the thing: it's like Coppola was trying to get get jiggy with it, like he was trying to get do something else, do something kind of crazy and kind of off. It was very sexual for its time too. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, there's the scene where she's basically fucking a beast in the yeah, garden. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. was a lot of like really controversial stuff. He was like going off the rails mm-hmm. and we should be able to do that as creatives. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just think it added to it, There was just a lot of, I think there was a lot of expectation for him to do like what everybody wanted him to do. And I think, and I, so I, in my opinion, it's like, you know, you cast Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder, Gary Oldman. I mean, Gary Tom Oldman, Waits. Just, Gary Oldman just, he was so good in it. I mean, their performances are amazing. I, I mean, yes, it goes off the rails, but I don't know. I, I agree. I liked it. It was 1992. Mm-hmm. I saw that in the theater. Did you? I was pretty young and it freaked me out pretty bad. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's, 
it's a lot of sex. So it can go on the list. A lot of, of blood and a lot of yeah. List of things that Kathy shouldn't have seen so early. Well, I think I think um the opening scene where he plays Vlad the Impaler mm-hmm. and how violent that oh scene God. was. Like, how old were you? I guess you should not have been watching that movie. Ninety <laughs> two? I was Yeah. Thirteen? Oh, 13. Oh, yeah. Am I doing the math right? Let me see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Mm, Yeah, that's too young. That's too young. So on the list of things we should not have been seeing watching. Yeah. (laughs) So we were like all of the teenagers out there, or if you're a parent of a teenager, we were those because we saw all the things we weren't supposed to see. Um, I went and saw it with my brother. (laughs) The brother? Yeah. Yeah, he was your eighteen and we over. We were always person. watching. We were always watching inappropriate horror films in the house, though. My parents were like, "Yeah, it's fine." Yeah, I feel like every time there's a story about something you shouldn't have seen, that's like involved with your brothers trying to terrorize you or something. Well, and my mom loved horror, so loves horror films. Like mm-hmm. I got my love of that from her. Gotcha. So we were never really censored around it. Gotcha. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer was nineteen ninety two. Yeah, that's on my list. All right, cool. And it's the series too. Yeah. Oh my god, the series. Uh, I had uh, friends at the time that I would go over to their house. Uh, Tawny and Leslie, shout out. Um, they, um, I would when I first met Tawny working on TV, a TV show. Uh, I would go over to her house like every whatever it was Tuesday night, and we would have Buffy night, and we would watch and. Order food. And it was a thing for like a year. It was a great show. <laughs> it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the original movie was in the 90s, I guess. So there's that. What else? Um, what else do I have? I, I would add to the 90s roundup, I would add the movie uh, The Addiction. Um, I don't know if I saw that. Which is in 1995. It's Lily Taylor. It's a black and white. Don't be afraid. It's Lily Taylor, uh, who I adore and um christopher walken annabelle sciora like these are three people i absolutely love in the movies and uh so so here's an interesting thing so let's bring in a little vampire psychology to this because this movie will do that for you the the basic bottom line for this movie is how we change our philosophy to suit our circumstances basically but what I would say is it's called the addiction. So it it talks, let's talk about vampires as addicts because I think that's a piece of the psychology as well. Well, that's what we were saying earlier, right? That whole oral phase. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so I guess what we could go on to say from that uh, is that perhaps people who have severe addictions are having injuries at those phases of life too. Right. And so then it creates this insatiable thirst, just like with zombies, there's an insatiable appetite. And this is an, a different kind of appetite mm-hmm. from the zombies. Right. It's more of a it's represented as more of a sexual craving human and blood personal, is, and personal. Yeah, really personal. Like zombies will just eat on anybody. Yeah. This is like I want this specific person. I want to. um seduce this person control this person i want this person to worship me mm-hmm. the other if there's one other movie i didn't mention okay but it's not 90s it's a little Whatever. bit newer it's 30 days of night mm, that's a good one that's a really good one talk about it a little so it takes place in alaska where you know there's a time of year where they actually have 30 days of night so what better place for a vampire to live i mean really 
And it's Josh Hartnett, who was who's great. He disappeared, but he's great. And Melissa George, and they're married, and they're going through a separation. So they're, um, but this whole storm kicks in, so they have very limited contact, and they're not really talking to each other anyway. And he's the sheriff, so it's very desolate. Um, and these vampires, this this group, who do not speak English, they almost have like their own. It's almost like they're in Star Trek. They have this very mm-hmm. bizarre type of language that they they use in subtitles. It's they translate it and they communicate. They, these vampires are really interesting though because they are more primal. They're mm-hmm. not as sophisticated. They're much more violent. Uh-huh. And these people have to bury themselves in their house. It's almost like a Night of the Living Dead in a way, but with vampires where they have to escape and they cannot make any noise at all because these vampires have like super hearing. Yeah. Um, so the whole movie, you, you just feel like you're kind of hiding with them. Sure. Um, and spoiler alert, so turn the volume down if you're <laughs> listening right now. But at the end, you know, Josh Hartnett, he gets bit. Mm-hmm. And he and Melissa George, ironically, are able to resolve things, but it's too late because he gets bit. And they um, they come out of the 30 days, and she's sitting with him as the sun starts to rise, and he mm-hmm. she's embracing him as he turns to ash. And it's just a really cool... It's romantic. Yeah. Yeah, they make it romantic. I am Dracula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for coming on in, Bella. <laughs> He's here. He's hanging out. Uh, I love the series True Blood. Yeah, I never got into it. Yeah, I but did. I know, I know many people who did. You know, like, like I've said before, it jumped the shark at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but those first couple of seasons, incredible. Mm-hmm. So some of my favorite vampires are on there, too. Um, a vampire named Jessica Hamby, which is the redhead woman who you younger. Uh, Pam Swinford, which is an older kind of uh, mentor. She's pretty much a jackass, a uh, stone cold killer. But she's like an older female vampire who's just badass. Um, and, of course, Eric Northman is the Alexander Skarsgård, who's amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I liked Buffy. I liked the Lady Gaga season of American Horror Story. That was really violent and bloody and horrible. Mm-hmm. And talk about a narcissist. Hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffy, and her, we talked about Buffy. Um, I like The Strain as well. And I also got into The Vampire Diaries. Which is I did just, too. Which is like a soap opera Super with vampires. Super cheesy, but it was kind of fun for a minute. You know, I think we talk a lot about uh, coming of age stuff, mm-hmm. and I like teen drama a mm-hmm. lot, and I love teens, you know, Dawson's Creek teens that talk like 45-year-olds, <laughs> and this is the same thing. Like, Vampire Diaries is definitely young, gorgeous vampires and non-vampires who talk like they're 45 and have the seductive qualities of a 35-year-old, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> And it's I just fun it. to watch. I watched it for a while too. Yeah, it's just, it's fun to watch. Again, it, it lost its zeal at one point or another, but I watched many seasons of it. Um, the strain is good. Uh, yeah, and then I don't know. I have a favorite recent vampire movie. Which one? I've talked about it before, like vaguely in the shrink chat, but it's called Let the Right One In. Oh, I still haven't seen it. So it's not recent recent. It's 2008. Yeah, but I've heard. Why? I need to write that down. Yeah, take a moment. Um, It's a 2008. It's a Swedish vampire movie. And the reason why I'm cluing into it right this second is because it blends vampires with adolescents. And... 
I think there's a way to have, this might be a way into having a lot of sympathy for this young female adolescent vampire um, who is, of course, all the things that a narcissist is because it's all the things that a vampire are. But the, the thing that I love about Swedish movies in general, actually, or Scandinavian movies in general, is that it's dark and quiet and slow. So it's very creepy in this context, which is amazing. And it's very much about, it, it reflects the culture. So if you think about Scandinavian culture and how much time they spend in the dark and the suicide rates in the dark in mm -hmm. Scandinavia. And so it's, you get this sense of how alone everyone is and and in particular how alone this young lady is and then also there's a boy and it's a very she's not the main character but she certainly quickly becomes very mm -hmm. interesting once she mm -hmm. enters the scene anyway great movie if you like if you like cinema you know i'm gonna throw that word out of there <laughs> you know it's not iron man right it's it's the swedish cin cinema yeah it's it's very well done I would see that. What about you? Do you have? I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, those are the my main ones. I mean, I I like a lot of the classics too, like you know the original Bela Lugosi, mm -hmm. Dracula, and Nosferatu, and things that I don't know if I'd sit down and watch from beginning to end. But if it's on, like I'll keep it on in the background. Um, and I'm sure there there are more. Do you think? Um, um, oh yeah, there's. I mean, there's tons of vampire yeah. movies. We're only talking about a smattering. But do you think that Lost Boys is your fave? Fave kind oh, of yeah. because of the childhood thing. I think so, and the culture around it, and and my memories around it, and the nostalgia around it, and the soundtrack. I have so many memories around that movie, and my friend Liz and I just watching it like every other day. It didn't even matter the time <laughs> of year. We just loved it so much, and um, so it's a big part of my childhood, and part of the reason why I fell in love with vampires yeah so i would i would say that's probably my favorite it was one of my faves when i was young but i would say in the interview with the vampire books mm -hmm. um and then movies the interview with the vampire i haven't read all of them but i did read the first one i like how Anne rice writes and those vampires too so there's um a vulnerability to them mm -hmm. and a and a feminine there's there's a lot it's very gender non-binary that's for sure yeah, it absolutely is flamboyance, and I think that is part of of the vampire world. They is don't that, discriminate. Yeah, they do not discriminate. They're 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 fluid, and many narcissists don't either. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it's back in Caligula in the Roman days when there was a fluidity to sexuality that mm -hmm. was not encumbered by, well, let's just put it out there, not encumbered by Christianity yep. that that entered our historical mm -hmm. uh, religious world and, and changed things um, in different ways. And so, yeah, there's, there's, um, there's an old school. Let's put it that I way. liked the movie too. Yeah, I did too. I enjoyed it when it first came out. And then I guess, you know, the twilight movies are the adolescent romantic. Yeah, they're fun current mm -hmm. story i enjoyed those books too in a very different way i did i liked the, i read the whole series and it was it was yeah. entertaining it was, in a very different way yeah but you know yeah. entertaining enough to read you know three or four books or whatever yeah. so but all right so vampires 
Vampires. Scene? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're going to come right back and do our What the Hell segment. So do not go anywhere. Listen to the What the Hell segment. We enjoy it very much. So we'll be right back. <laughs> this is the, uh, we're back. <laughs> These are some vampire sounds. Okay. So that was that. Yeah. Yeah. That was the... Um, <laughs> oh, I like that, one. that one is entitled maniacal laugh i know some people <laughs> like that <laughs> right so here is our what the hell segment for those of you who are new to the show we each pick a true crime story that makes us giggle and then we bring it to the show and we say what the hell so here we are you want to go first i have two short ones both around crimes with a banana fantastic a theme show and floridians what is wrong with you all of the ones i find are in florida <laughs> i don't know philip joseph smolinski 36 <laughs> floridian mm -hmm. well he was arrested in florida i'm assuming he's a floridian yeah, okay for attacking his girlfriend with a banana oh due to this fruit fight and resistance to the arrest he was charged for domestic violence his girlfriend claimed that he had thrown a banana at her, but when questioned himself, he said that she threw the banana at him. <laughs> the evidence of the fight was found when a deputy spotted a banana in the garbage and peels on the ground at the scene. <laughs> this is definitely one of the weirdest crimes committed or just oh. <laughs> stupid that any attention was brought to it. We're sure we're sure that the banana wasn't a euphemism for anything. I don't think so no. because it was on Unless the floor. That would have been a huge euphemism. <laughs> That's a whole different story. Here's the second one. Now, this will give the Floridians a break because this one took place well, in hold Connecticut. Hold on a second because I, I just want to say, why did they even report that? But anyway, go I, ahead. And like, who why was, do we even know about a banana argument? Maybe <laughs> it isn't don't real. Even, I don't okay. know. Go ahead. Sorry. Here's the second one. Number two, banana. Man, man crashes into a gas station, steals a banana. I, I wonder if this is the same guy that started in Connecticut. He bought it there and then took it to Florida to assault his girlfriend with. And I can't help saying he's our second banana. But First anyway. of all, it's not every day that you see a man break into a gas station, steal a banana, casually finish eating it, and drive away like nothing happened. The story of this brazen fruit thief made the news after he used his station wagon... Now the, the picture is even more vivid to ram through the locked glass doors of a gas station in Newington, Connecticut. The thief didn't steal anything besides a banana and didn't try to conceal himself by wearing a mask. The police are still searching for this infamous fruit thief. <laughs> so he just wanted to get a rush. Like it wasn't about like stealing anything. I, he just I wanted can't to... imagine it being about anything else but a rush because <laughs> there are many ways to get bananas and you don't have to put yourself through all that. <laughs> the guy would probably give you the banana if you Jesus. really needed the banana. All right. All right. Fruit well, <laughs> My story has a banana in it, but Does it's, it? it's um, a euphemism. So. Okay. All right. So we don't know why someone would want to flash themselves. Well, themselves? You, yeah, flashing themselves. Like why, in a, a flash? Oh, we're going... <laughs> really? You don't understand? <laughs> Okay, let's let me finish. Hold on. We don't really know why someone would want to flash themselves, but we imagine they'd want their victims to at least see their exposed body when they do. Right. Right. Oh, flash themselves. She's with us. Gotcha. <laughs> it's fine. And that's why this wacky criminal has left us confused. Um, so an unidentified man exposed himself to a female shopper 
at the Bucks County Association for the Blind in Newton Township. (laughs) This is cruel. The flasher is described as a thin African-American man, approximately 35 to 45, 510. He was wearing a black tracksuit at the time of the incident. It really doesn't make sense why this criminal would choose to expose himself to the blind. Did he not realize this bookstore was specifically for the blind? That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> Did he think that the woman he was flashing wasn't blind? I don't know. Whatever his motive, we're glad the victims of this offense didn't have, happen to see anything. <laughs> it's so interesting because when you... Th- that's ridiculous, for one. But yeah. for two... For two. For two. I, for two. Second banana. Um, when you think about exhibitionists, mm. their their drive is humiliating and, humiliating and shocking. They're like victim. watching your face, right? Yeah. yeah. So he's not going to get a rise out of someone who can't see it. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> wow. Wow, right? Mm. Yeah. I'm figuring he maybe wasn't the brightest person, and so he just didn't know, or that it was an impulse. That's it was quite an impulse. And it's an impulse he, in the you, moment. How does one even come to that? Like, I have an idea. What I, I know I'm going to get off today. Flash blind people. Yeah, I don't think it was that. No. I really don't. I don't think he got the desired result. So that is our What the Hell segment for the week. Uh, Tune in next week when we talk about witches. And then after that, we'll do The Joker the first week in November. And then we are off to the races following that uh, with our discussion of Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman, who is a fascinating character. So please come on back. Uh, This is Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. If you enjoyed this show, there are two things you could do for us. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media, as well as writing a review on iTunes. Plus, you could check out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.